Here at the Fantasy Doctors, we use our expertise in the world of sports as well as medicine to bring you the most up-to-date injury news. Our first injury of the day actually broke his back last week. I want Lionel Messi healthy. I want Suarez healthy. Fam, fam. Mo Salah is beasting. I want Ronaldo healthy. I want the whole squad healthy. Seven La Liga title in a span of 10 years. That basically, to me, that means he was concussed. He was knocked out. There was absolutely no competition. We're your hosts, physical therapy students, Andy and Berg. And welcome to the Fantasy Doctors Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, guys, for part two with our interview with Dr. David Geyer, sports medicine um, physician based out of South Carolina. Is that right? Yep, Charleston, South Carolina. Nice, nice. So this episode is all about the listeners here. We have a ton of questions that we're going to get into. Um, Our first one is from um, one of Berg's listeners. Uh, Someone who's 15. Is that right, Berg? Yeah. So the question we have here is, I am 15 and I had ACL surgery. Did my ligament become weaker? Uh, No, I mean, and you said ACL surgery. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, because when you do the surgery, you're making a new ligament with a graft. And so in theory, when you get to six plus months out, that graft, assuming it's an autograph, that gets to a bigger discussion potentially Mm -hmm. if you have a cadaver graft, because it probably is weaker than your normal ACL. But using your own, uh, by the time you get to six plus months out, it should be as strong, if not actually a little bit stronger than the ACL that was already in there. Oh, nice. So... Question for me off that, um, I was reading about um, ACL surgery and all that, and I heard it takes a long time for the actual ACL to become like re-innervated by the nerves that go through it. What's, what's the timeline behind that? Is it, is it within that like six to nine months time frame, or is that kind of its own thing? Yeah, we think around six months, your body has delivered a blood supply to it, created sort of tissue around it to protect it and, and all of that. So, uh, but that, that's the concern as you guys are seeing uh, in the, the rehab world from these injuries. That's part of, not the only reason, but that's part of the reason we can't let them run, even though they mm-hmm. may feel good at six weeks, we can't let them run at six weeks because that ACL will not withstand that even though running doesn't put that much stress on the ACL but that's where some of the progression comes from it's based on how strong that ligament is gotcha gotcha okay so no. Berg you want to follow up yeah on that? um so we have a question from Haji who said um you know can you play soccer with a wrist fracture I would think you can uh the, I guess there's two questions. One is if it's fixed surgically, that's going to be a different answer or a, a tweak of a different answer than if it's broken and you're relying on a cast to fix it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, at least in a lot of places, and you'd have to check with the rules in your state, but if you're in a cast, uh, then that ha- cast has to be padded to a certain thickness based on the cast so that you don't hurt other people swinging your arm. But usually, yes, they'll let you play. Now, if it is a cast and it's no surgery, so you're relying on that cast, I think the doctor, plus or minus the parents, might be a little nervous about letting you run and you know play and you trip and fall and, and displace it. So I think that you know I would talk to the surgeon about, all right, listen, I need to get back as soon as possible and see if that changes how the treatment's going to go. It's funny that you mentioned that because that could remind me of um, Philippe Lam who played in uh... – he had a cast in, uh, what's that, 2002 World Cup. He played a whole tournament with, with a cast. 
Yeah. We don't see that as much anymore because we've gone to, you know, walking boots and, and, you know, basically away from leg and ankle casts. And we've gone to those uh, molded splints instead of the uh, forearm cast. But even those are, are fairly rigid. So I'd still think, yeah, they are. I mean, obviously you can't play in a boot. So I think that it's possible to play, but I think you need to find out one, if you're at risk for doing more harm and then two, see if you need to protect uh, other people. Good. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a good, a good example of injuries that are the same, but they're managed differently, right? Because let's say if Messi's playing in a World Cup, a broken wrist isn't going to stop him. But like for me, if I broke my wrist, I'm not going to play in a murals, you know? And I, I think it's very <laughs> interesting to see like just injuries just being treated differently when they are in fact the same. Yeah. And I think that that's a, it's a great point in the sense in, with a lot of injuries because you have to take into account the patient's circumstances. You're right. How you treat pro athletes might be different than how you treat, you know, a high school player because the pro athlete is getting paid to play. That's his job. It's like, we're trying to get a mechanic back to work after a shoulder injury. It's the same idea. We're trying to get mm -hmm. messy back after a, a soccer injury. And so I think that that's, that's not to say that we're going to do something that's, harmful to a pro soccer player just because he plays pro sports but we have to take into account different factors uh, of what they do yeah um brief disclaimer before we get to our next injury uh, or our next question and for all the questions in general um we are not your healthcare provider even though dr david guyer is a surgeon he is not your surgeon is that correct because i know i hear you <laughs> say that on your podcast a lot yeah yeah, I mean, and that's something that, you know, I think kind of goes without saying, but just because people, you know, don't want to go to the doctor, they, they're just trying to look for information. Yeah, this is not specific medical advice. So if you have specific medical questions or concerns, talk to your specific doctor. Yeah, so our next question comes from Ferrig Debamba. Um, he wants to know, uh, I had a knee ligament injury, but did not get surgery. Can I play soccer again? And I'm, I'm assuming with this, it was more of a complete tear than like a mild sprain. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be the one of the two questions I would want to know, you know, the grade of the injury and then what ligament it is. I think if it's an MCL, we know that heals. Some LCL injuries heal. Um, some PCL injuries, posterior cruciate ligament heals. ACL injuries typically don't. And so I think mm -hmm. the risk with a torn ACL without surgery is that your knee could be unstable. You go to land from a jump or you run and you plant your foot to change directions. Your knee and you risk doing more harm to your knee. Uh, so I think if it's an ACL and you elected not to have surgery, it's going to be really hard to play. The others, it might be a little more possible. I think that's one, if you're not sure, go talk to, to a, you know, somebody that this is what they do. Yeah. Have them examine your knee and, and get a, a sense of what the risk might be. Gotcha. So besides more knee ligament injuries as a result from not getting surgery, is there – any other injuries that you're at risk for in the knee, or is it mostly more ligament injuries that come as a result of not getting surgery? Yeah, I think the, the big risk if you didn't have surgery would be, you know, you damage other you know, soft tissue structures, specifically the you tear a meniscus because your knee's yeah. given out, or you damage the articular cartilage. And the problem there is if your knee's given out and you do that, I mean, we can't make the that new again, that damage is done. Yes, we can do a surgery for our meniscus tear, or we can go in and with a shaver and sort of smooth out cartilage, but that's not new again. That, so that 
potentially does long-term damage. You don't want your knee buckling. So if you're concerned about an ACL injury, talk to somebody that this is what they do. They treat athletes because sometimes that may be a very different discussion as far as treatment goes than somebody that treats kind of lots of people in their late 40s and 50s that aren't active. And uh, you need to think about that earlier rather than years down the road. You know, I have a follow-up question to that, Dr. David. Um, it's I get these, this question all the time, but I, I have a wild following from many different places. And there are people who are obviously not in, you know, the most, the, the richest country, you know, in the world. I had a kid yesterday who, you know, asked me this question saying, you know, I had this injury here and that, but, you know, um, I have, I have no one to see. Like the doctor is like many, many miles away. Like, and I, I didn't know how to tell the guy. Yeah. And he's looking to, I guess, to, get all of his information from many different sources on the web. You know, what do you, you know, how yeah. have you had an encounter like that before and how do you manage this? Yeah, sadly I get uh, probably between, between, especially on YouTube, cause I've closed off the comments on my website because it got out of hand, but oh. probably a hundred to 200 YouTube comments a week that are just that they're questions for medical advice. And it, it's really tricky. I mean, so I've got a legal disclaimer that I had an attorney draw up for me, but nobody, you know, pays Nobody any attention to it. They just still ask the question. And so, I mean, there's two issues. One, just out of sheer volume, I can't respond to all of those. But probably more importantly, um, I, I try when I can uh, to give something that will be helpful in a general sense. You know, you know, people with ACLs should think about X, Y, and Z, but I, I don't try to say you should do this. And I try to answer more often the ones that are sort of general, like what are your thoughts on allografts versus autographs for ACL surgery rather than, hey, I did this and this and this to my knee. My doctor told me this. What graph should I use? So that, that's kind of how I approach it. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. So we have another question from Javi. Um, he wants to know, why are female athletes more susceptible to ACL tears? There are a whole lot of theories to this. And, and this was part of the chapter in my book on the ACL injury program. I talk about this a lot. Because he's right. It's anywhere from, depending on the study, females are twice as likely, anywhere to eight to 10 times more likely than males. You know, we always think, oh, I should take care of a, an American football team because that's going to get me a lot of ACL surgeries. If you want ACL injuries, you're going to treat girls' soccer, girls' basketball, and girls' volleyball. That's where the ACL injuries occur. And, and we think, that, we used to think it was, well, women have smaller ACLs or women have tighter uh, or smaller intracondylar notches, narrow intracondylar notch, the sort of the part of your knee where the ACL sort of sits. Uh, we thought, well, maybe it's because women are more uh, knock kneed than men. And all of those may play a little bit of a role. But we think that it's much more related to uh, how women land and turn, meaning what knee their position, what knee position they're it's in when they land. So guys, when we land from a jump, we tend to do it with our knees bent. When we're running and change directions, we have our knees slightly bent. But women tend to default to a position where their knee is fully straight or even a little hyperextended, mm. which puts that at risk. You add on top of that, women are very quad dominant compared to their hamstrings, which guys aren't. And so you have that force pulling the, the tibia forward uh, puts the knee more at risk. And so I think that's why the injury prevention programs work is that they help read, uh, you know, train women to land and turn with their knees bent. And they work on a lot of, of hamstring straightening, uh, strengthening 
to sort of correct that imbalance. Hmm. A lot of good information there. Um, so you mentioned that women tend to land with their knees like a little bit more straight. Is there easy, is there a reason why? Like, is like, is there something in like the male body that <laughs> allows us to land in a, like a more efficient manner or is it something that's learned or what's going on there? That's a great question. And there's probably a little bit of all of it. I don't think anybody knows for sure. I think the, the wider pelvis probably helps with some of it because women then that probably leads to weaker muscles around the hip which causes their knees to kind of go in when they land. So that's probably part of it. But I think it is probably learned because if you do these, these movement tests and you get the cameras out to watch them land and all this kind of stuff, a, a big percentage of the females do it the way they should. So it's just a subgroup of them. And so that's gotten to where people have wondered, well, maybe we should do screens for all these athletes to try to identify the ones at high risk it's not perfect because you can tear your ACL even without that, but uh, Mm -hmm. there is some truth to why certain ones do it and others don't. Gotcha. No, what's that? We got another question. We got a question from Dochoff. I hope I'm not butchering his name. It says, uh, what's the best way to prevent shin splints? Yeah, I remember when I was in college, this back when I was a runner and I got shin splints and it was so, so miserable. Uh, It's this pain in the front of the knees or the front of the legs. You know, in my case, it was on both sides and most people's it is. And, you know, I could run, but it just hurt, especially at the beginning. And so I learned some exercises and I don't know that anybody's really studied these and prevention uh, uh, series as much as they've used them to rehab it. But there's a series of exercises. Honestly, you could go online and look for them, but involves stretching the muscles of the anterior compartment of the leg. So it's, it's the one that just drove me bananas was sitting on my heels and sort of really stretching out the front of my legs. Just so painful as you know, I, I always tell people go to a physical therapist once or twice and learn a program specifically for you. I think the other thing though, that I would do uh, that we think might may play a role in developing shin splints is make sure you change your shoes frequently enough that you're not running on worn out shoes. So, you know, be it, you know, change them every six months or 500 miles. And for serious runners is probably less than that uh, to make sure that you're not putting more stress where it shouldn't be. Let the shoes do what they're supposed to do. Follow up on that for me. Um, your, your kind of comment on shoes got me thinking yeah. I've been hearing a lot about cleats and turf and grass and injuries when it relates to like the foot versus the the first the surface that you're on. What's your thoughts on the whole like turf causes more injury or if you wear these cleats you're less likely to get injured and any anything on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the cleats are a little trickier because then you have to take into weather accounts and how slippery the field is and things like that. So I don't know that I have an easy answer on the cleats. As far as the turf goes, and this plays into what shoes you wear, I am a big natural grass fan generally. I think that if all things were equal, the rates of, say, ACL injuries in particular would be lower than the new artificial turf. The argument for the turf, though, is in a lot of parts of the country, when it's cold or it's really rainy, they can't keep grass covering the field. You have areas where it's sort of patchy and big holes in it. And then I think that increases your risk if you're running on grass and then you kind of step in a hole. So I think that if you can maintain a good grass field, that's what I would prefer. I think if that's not possible, I do think artificial turf is probably better than bad grass. Uh, I think that 
the challenge is that the turf people will point to studies that show, hey, the injury rate's not higher. Most of those studies were funded by the artificial turf yeah. companies, or at least, you know, so <laughs> right. I, I think it's, it's, it's really hard, though, in their, in their defense, there's just so many variables. Was it raining on a particular day? You know, was it, was it hot? Was it cold? Because the temperature affects the artificial turf. What's the condition of the grass field? And, and most of the, the these are all, um, you know, case control or retrospective studies, and they don't have all that data that when they go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't report field quality or anything like that. And so I think that those studies are really hard to do. But I think that if you can get a great grass field, especially here in the South, that's usually possible. That would be my preference. But if not, I don't think artificial, the new artificial turf at least is that bad. So we, that explains why, you know, the European soccer players, whenever they transition to the U.S., like they refuse to play in, in turf condition. Yeah, I, I don't understand at the pro level I, I don't understand why it. they would do it. I mean, I guess in some countries, I, and that I think was the argument with Canada and the Women's World Cup in 2015, but yeah, in the summer, it's warm in Canada. They could have gotten grass fields. I, I don't understand. But I mean, I think it's at, at a lot of the different stadiums in the U.S. that that's just become the norm. And, and I, I get it from the player's perspective. I mean, why would you want to take a risk of an injury yeah. and potentially being out nine months? I, I definitely understand it from their perspective. I think it's the high school kids where it, it's a little trickier because if they're in Seattle, they may be hard to keep a grass field. Hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of factors going into that. Um, we do have another question. Uh, we don't have the name. Oh, it's because I came up with it. <laughs> but um, – what injury, in your opinion, has the toughest recovery to come back from? Yeah, I think, well, we talked in the last podcast about Oxlade-Chamberlain's multi-ligament knee injury, and that, that obviously is, is brutal, but that's really rare. I think the, the two that I would point out that are really hard for a soccer player, uh, and this is true for an NFL player as well, would be an Achilles tendon rupture and a patellar tendon rupture. Uh, if you read the studies, the return to play rates for those two are a fair amount lower than everything else. And the rates, what we really care about, not just return to play, but returning to play at the same level, that's, those are really bad for that injury. And so, you know, there, I can't think of too many of those injuries off the top of my head in the Premier League, but I, I probably could if you gave me a minute. But I think that would concern me. You're talking a year out of soccer for sure. And, and yeah. you know, they're probably not quite as strong, not as fast when they do get back. Yeah, the the one injury that comes to my mind is uh, Claudio Bravo. He actually just tore his Achilles uh, keeper for Man City. He's about 33 years of age, though. And in my mind, I was thinking, like, man, it, the, the recovery is one year, but considering, one, his position, two, his age, and three, the club that he plays for, I it's it's just tough to see him come back from that injury in in that time frame at that same level. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I, I guess the argument with the, being the goalkeeper is you don't have to run as much, but you're right. You have to have explosive movements and have to be yeah. able to to jump and push it off to the, your left or right and, and dive. And I think that gets really hard. Um, and I, I think that's why the NFL players and the NBA players struggle so much with it. So it's not to say that he couldn't come back, but I, I could see it lingering on and then City at some point decides, eh, it's not worth it. 
Yeah, it's funny, Andy. I thought you were going to mention Koscielny, <laughs> the killer's injury. Man, that's that's another tough one too. I, actually, follow up question on that. So, um, Lauren Koscielny, the defender for Arsenal he, last year, um, he was battling Achilles tendonitis for most of the year, actually, and it was on and off. He'd play a few months, and then he'd be out for like maybe a month, month and a half with irritation, and it was going on for about a year. Until um, until I think it was April where it just completely tore and then he was out for the World Cup. Is there in this this goes for any injury in general? Is there any injury that you think is okay to play with in terms of management and pain and all that? And like, why do players play when they're injured when they know they're at risk for further injury? Yeah, boy, that's a million dollar, multi million dollar question because we see it all the time and we saw it again in the world cup with guys playing through injuries and I, and I know the glory of trophies and and all that matters and they don't want to let their fans down I mean I get all of that but I think you're starting to see a shift just a little bit where players are thinking big picture and about their long-term careers and let's be fair they they're earning power and how long that they're going to get big salaries so I think you're going to start seeing players be a little more cognizant of their bodies and the need to rest, but it's, it's really tricky. There's so many external factors that drive them to want to play, even if they're not ready. Hmm. Gotcha. Well, this is a, a last question. I don't know if Andy got any more after that, but Dr. David, brace yourself because this one, you might yeah. piss off a lot of people. <laughs> with this. It says, in your opinion, who is the greatest player of all time? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, so the, I think that what's supposed to be the right answer, even this is, though this is before my time, supposedly Pele in terms of not just how technically gifted he was, but what he did to grow the sport. Having said that, I'm going to go with somebody that I've seen to make it uh, more relevant. I, I think it would be hard to at least discount what Messi's done over the, you know, basically his whole career and, and that we're not going to look back at that 15 years from now and say, wow, that was truly amazing. Maybe Ronaldo will be able to say something else. You know, we'll see. Um, I, I think that yeah, as much as, cause I'm not a huge, you know, messy fan other than just huge admirer he is, but I think that, what he's truly been able to do at Barcelona, um, including years where they weren't that talented, uh, yeah. I think that he'd be hard to argue against, at least in modern football. Yeah, he's, he definitely might. Him and Ronaldo, they might win uh, the play of the decade, you know. Yeah. They, it's, it's, been, it's been a long yeah. run with these guys. Yeah. yeah, and it gets back to the, you know, do you value trophies more or do you, I mean, this is the whole debate around the top, the final three of the FIFA player of the year. Is it the trophies that matter more or individual stats? But I think with Messi, you know, he doesn't have as many of the titles, I guess, as Ronaldo does, but his stats are just ridiculous. Yeah, they, so, they're quite insane. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I would lean. Um, but I, I will say that knowing that you could – you could make a good case for somebody else, and I'm not going to argue too much about it. I wish I could stay, say Gerard, but uh, <laughs> Liverpool never won the Premier League with him. So uh, yeah, that, that's that. That'll be a tough one. That's a tough one there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for these two wonderful podcast episodes. Yeah. Uh, tell us once again where can our listeners find you? What's the best place to get to you? 
Yeah, uh, connect with me on my website and then you can contact me there or it has links to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, my podcast, book, everything else. And that's Dr. Uh, David Geyer. That's D-R-D-A-V-I-D-G-E-I-E-R.com. Uh, and my Twitter and all my handles are at Dr. David Geyer. So uh, spelled exactly the same way. So yeah, definitely reach out, ask questions, tell me what team and players you cheer for. I'd love to connect. Yeah. So you can follow me at the football physios and Berg, what's your handle? I'm at the Soccer Obsessed. All right. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for joining.